Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast, episode 128, the Ammo Dump Kessel Run. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. This is kind of an unusual episode. I am by myself. It's one of those Kessel Run-like episodes where I just grabbed something, read it, took some notes, and I'm going to review it with you here today. The reason why I say this one's different is you hadn't noticed from the title, it's an ammo dump Kessel Run. So it's kind of blending our ammo dump, which is where we cover comics that are outside the normal Star Joes-related stuff, so the 80s stuff and Star Wars and stuff like that. And it's combining that with a Kessel Run, which is a retro comic review, so a comic from the past uh, that's being reviewed. And the reason I blended the two together is because what I'm going to be reviewing here for you today is actually the comic Annihilation Prologue, which came out in from Marvel Comics in on March 15th of 2006. And what this is, for those of you who aren't aware is that this is the start of the revamp of the whole Marvel Cosmic Universe. Basically, everything that led up to what you may have seen in the theaters with Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's really why I wanted to cover this issue, is that, as you know from a previous episode with Robert and myself, I'm a huge fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a lot of fun. Are there flaws in it? Absolutely. Do I care about those flaws? Absolutely not, because I just had a great time. I have not felt about a movie like that since I was a little kid watching Star Wars, Indiana Jones, stuff like that. I felt like a little kid watching the movie again I with that type of, I guess, awe and wonder and everything else. So I actually was very familiar with the characters from Guardians of the Galaxy that were in that movie. Uh, there is an original version of the Guardians of the Galaxy from the 90s, which I'm just starting to kind of get more familiar with. I'm starting to read some of those older issues and trade and stuff like that. So, But where I jumped into Marvel Cosmic, because I really wasn't a huge fan of Marvel Cosmic back in the day. I, you know, I'd see something with Silver Surfer, and I'm like, okay, whatever. I just wasn't familiar with it, so I didn't really jump into that stuff. Um, I thought Captain, the character Captain Marvel looked cool. I knew that he he died uh, from due to cancer and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, those are some deep stories. That sounds kind of cool, but I just it's just not something that I feel like I can just jump into right now, which I'm sure is the case for a lot of people out there when it comes to comics. In general, it's like, okay, Batman issues, you know, 605, do I have to read Batman's issues 1 through uh, 604? No, you really don't have to. And I should have taken that approach when it came to Marvel Cosmic stuff. I didn't need to go back to the very beginning of everything and understand everything that was going on. 
But for some reason, I was having that mental block. Well, Annihilation Prologue was a way to start anew. So it was a way to jump into Marvel Cosmic, even if you really weren't that familiar with the Marvel Cosmic stuff before. So I happened to be at my comic shop uh, in 2006 on March 15th, and this issue was sitting there, and it was, it was called Annihilation Prologue. It was issue number one, and it was just a one-shot as far as I knew. Uh, I was like, okay, well, this looks like something interesting. The cover definitely caught my eye. And if you look at our webpage, I put the cover up there uh, for this episode, so you can actually see the awesome painted detail of the cover. And on the cover, you have characters that I wasn't all that familiar with, uh, but now I am. So on the cover, in the background, you have Thanos, and I knew who Thanos was. Um, again, I wasn't super familiar. I knew him from Infinity Gauntlet, which I had read and thought was awesome. In fact, it's one of my all-time favorite Marvel stories, which, again, is weird that I read that, thought it was awesome, and still stayed away from the Marvel Cosmic stuff. So I, I don't know what I was thinking back then, but Thanos is there on the cover. We have Ronan the Accuser, who I did not know at that time. I had no idea who this character was. We had the Super Scroll, who I knew at least as far as what his powers were, but I didn't know a whole lot about him. We had Silver Surfer on the cover. I knew who Silver Surfer was. I kind of knew a little bit of his back background. Uh, we have uh, Drax the Destroyer, who, again, I really didn't know, at least not in this form, and I certainly, looking at this cover, did not know who Drax was. I knew Drax as this giant Hulk-like looking character, with a purple cape and purple, like, helmet-type thing uh, on his head. Uh, almost like a scroll-type helm uh, that he was wearing. That's not this Drax. This Drax does not look like that. This Drax looks closer to what the Drax was in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I did not know this character at all when I looked at the cover. And then front and center on the cover is Richard Ryder as Nova. I knew of Nova. I had heard the name Richard Ryder. Didn't really know much else. The only thing I knew about Nova and the Nova Corps, which I didn't know, I did know there was a Nova Corps, was that they were kind of, to me, especially being a Green Lantern fan, they were kind of a knockoff of the Green Lantern Corps. And in some cases they kind of are, but in the case of... Annihilation Prologue and uh, everything that followed, they kind of reinvented the Nova Corps, and they're not... There's still elements of them being the Marvel version of the Green Lantern Corps. They're a police force for the universe, just like the Green Lantern Corps, uh, and that's about as far as it goes. I mean, they have a uniform, and, and they have hierarchy levels and things like that, but that's to be expected. Um, but that was really it. So... That's what we had on the cover here. Uh, I'm going to go through the issue as far as just highlighting some of the stuff that happened in this issue. And I'm also going to talk about first appearances and, and try to explain some things that, that I took some notes on as far as things that appeared in the issue and everything else. This I, I want this to be an episode for those of you that saw Guardians of the Galaxy, really liked it, but don't know a whole lot about the Marvel Cosmic Universe. So this is really the starting point. And like I said, this came out in 2006, so it's not like you had to go back to the 1960s or 1970s. Even though some of these characters come from then, you don't have to go back to read their origins or read their story or anything like that. You really could jump on with Annihilation Prologue 
in 2006 and be totally fine following everything from there. And under, and you'll get a great understanding as far as the things that follow. This, as I said, I thought was a one-shot. However, it wasn't. It was the start of a bigger story. And it followed up with some miniseries where you had Silver Surfer had a miniseries, Super Scroll had a miniseries, Nova had a miniseries, and Ronin, uh, the Accuser, had a miniseries. Once those miniseries ended in July, it then went into Annihilation. So this was the Annihilation prologue issue, then it went into Annihilation after all those miniseries. So all those miniseries basically build up to the Annihilation story. So it gets you really familiar with who all these characters are that are going to take part in this grander story. And then you have uh, Annihilation issues one through six. That came One came out every single month. So it's not this Marvel stuff that we're facing right now where it was coming out every week or it was coming out twice a month or anything like that. You basically had to wait in between every single issue for um, a whole month between each issue, which was tough because when they were doing the miniseries that led up to the story you were getting four miniseries. So every, pretty much every week, you were getting another issue that all led up to Annihilation, and then you had to wait every month to get the rest of your story there. So, But reading this first issue got me jazzed. I was super excited, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and keep following this, and that's what I did. I, kept, I read all the miniseries. I read the Annihilation story. I was like, this is fantastic. I wanted to keep going. And it basically did. We got other stories like Annihilation Conquest. We got a Nova ongoing comic series. We got a Guardians of the Galaxy comic series, uh, which actually that came out after the Annihilation Conquest story. So it's like they, they did another story to kind of see, are fans really interested? Because this Annihilation story got huge raving reviews from critics and everything else of Marvel Cosmic being back and how it reinvented itself and everything like that. So in this story, you do not get the Guardians of the Galaxy characters. I'll tell you that right up front. You don't get that team of the Guardians of the Galaxy. You do get Drax the Destroyer in this story. Uh, You do get Ronin in this story. And Ronin is not the villain that you see in the movie. He's, He's really out there for Kree justice, and that's what he is. And I guess in the movie, he's kind of that same way also. But they put a darker spin on it, like he's just there to wipe people out. But in this story, he's really kind of a good guy. He's, I mean, in a sense, again, he's not really bad or good. He's just, he believes in justice, and he follows justice, and that's it. I mean, I I guess in a way, you can almost view him like uh, a Batman or a, a Punisher character where... They don't necessarily follow the laws, but they follow the laws that they think should be followed. So, Ronan's kind of the same way. He follows the Kree law, and the Kree is an alien species, just to let you know. Um, He follows Kree law, but when he feels like the Kree themselves are going against Kree law, he still follows Kree law. So, I hope that makes some sense. So I'm going to go over uh, the story here. Again, I'm going to talk about some first appearances of these characters. Uh, so when it opens, the story opens up, we have Thanos. We're actually at, uh, they designate the time period for you. It's Annihilation Day minus seven. So it's before this whole Annihilation happens. And it starts being called the Annihilation Wave that comes through and destroys everything, basically. So... We'll get into what that is further into this issue. 
but right now, it's right before that all occurs. We are on the edge of the universe. Uh, it's called the Verge System 26, so it's kind of like the Green Lanterns have sectors. This is like the a Verge System. It's a, it's a certain section of the, of the universe. And we have Thanos is standing there, and he's got this little pixie character on his shoulder. And unfortunately, I didn't look up the name of the, this little pixie character, but it is somebody... Uh, maybe I'll have that for you in a future episode or something like that, but it is, it's, it's a character that has been with Thanos in previous stories and everything. Um, Thanos himself appeared in Iron Man number 55 uh, in February of 1973, so he's been around for a while. He's been around for over uh, over 40 years now, so he's my favorite villain in the Marvel Universe. He was before the whole Avengers thing took place, he really became my favorite because of this start of this annihilation stuff. Because I, I was like, I don't know a lot about Thanos other than the Infinity Gauntlet, which was cool. But I didn't even read anything before the Infinity Gauntlet. I did not read Thanos Quest or anything like that. I have since, and I think it's making me like the character even more. But right now, this is the only appearance of Thanos in the Annihilation story. He is standing there, and he has Lady Death, the Mistress Death, standing next to him. And Mistress Death in this issue is personified by a little girl uh, dressed in black. White face, as you'd expect, completely pale white face, black hair, little black dress, um, just like an emo child or something like that, goth child. He actually turns to her and says, oh, you've arrived, and she says, I'm here to bear witness he said, I, you know, I can feel it. And she says, of course you do. She says, and he says, uh, something is coming. And she says, yes, something wonderful. And he says, death. Uh, and she says, I am with him, yes. So he was basically asking, is death coming? And she was like, yes, and I'm with him because she is death. So basically somebody is coming that is going to bring death. Um, now the character of death didn't actually appear in, as an embodiment of death uh, until Captain issue of Captain Marvel number 27 in July of 1973. So actually, for those of you who know Thanos, he's infatuated with Lady Death and Mistress Death, and he wants basically for her to love him, and she never is like that standoff girl that doesn't want to give you the time of day, but still wants you to be there and love her and care about her. It's kind of like that type of relationship where it's like, I know you love me and I want you to love me, but I'm not going to really, I'm going to tease you and I'm not going to give you what you want totally. So that's the relationship that Thanos has with Mistress Death. But the thing that's interesting about that is it seems like that's always been the case for this character, but it's not because you remember, Thanos appeared in February of 1973, and Death didn't appear until July of 1973. So it was several months later that Death actually appeared. Not too long after Thanos appeared. Um, so it could be argued that he always had this infatuation with Death, um, but not as an embodiment character, I guess. So, uh, so I found that interesting when I looked up the information. We leave Thanos and Lady Death, and we go to the kiln, it's a K Y L N, uh, and this is it's a series. It's a location. It's a series of uh, spherical units located next to the galactic barrier, and the galactic barrier is known as the Crunch. Um, the architect who made the kiln is unknown, uh, 
However, this kiln does serve two purposes. It's a power generator, and it distributes power to the neighboring worlds that it's around. Um, and it, it's believed that it draws this power from the interaction of the matter and antimatter. You know, they bombard with each other along the border of the crunch. Uh, it's also an inescapable intergalactic prison that's known for holding powerful prisoners. Um, and in most cases, inmates that serve time on the kiln uh, live less than three years. It's not a good place to go. It, the first appearance of the kiln actually appeared in uh, Thanos number seven. So Thanos had his own series or maxi series, however you want to view it, because it didn't last very long. This appeared in number seven of that, which was in May of 2004. So the kiln is actually a pretty recent addition to the Marvel Cosmic Universe. I will say there was a typo in Annihilation Prologue, and when you first see the kiln, it gives you know this little description of where you're at and when it, when, uh, what time we are in, and everything. And it actually says Klin Moons. Uh, it says Kiln Moons, and so they spelled it K L Y N instead of K Y L N, and. When you first read it, especially like me, you're like, oh, you don't think anything of it until like a few pages later when they refer to the kiln and you're like, wait, is that the same place? And you find out it is. So it was basically a typo. I don't know if they ever corrected that in like the trade versions or the hardcover versions that collected this story. So if you guys are out there and you have the trade of this or the hardcover edition of Annihilation... Take a look at that. Let me know if they corrected that typo or if they left that typo in there. So, um, But we're on the kiln. We have some prisoners being delivered there. And we have two characters named Cole and Swad. And Cole is a human, or a human, I assume from Earth, but we don't know. Um, but he's, he's a human being. And we have Swad, who is like this big, bulky, gray uh, alien creature. He's humanoid, uh, but he's he's kind of hulking looking and everything else. They're like the officers. They're like the beat cops that are bringing the prisoners in. And Cole has kind of an attitude like saying, you know, he was asked by the character that greets them, you know, did you read them their rights? And he's like, you know, they have a right to die, basically, because he knows that the kiln is a place where people go to die. And SWAT is a little bit more religious and a little bit more moralistic and things like that. So he, does, you know, he partners with Cole, but he kind of is, you know, saying, you know, Cole, that isn't, that isn't right and whatever. And Cole's like, well, am I wrong? And uh, they're greeted by uh, a cleric there. And the cleric's kind of off-putting and everything else. He's this alien, weird alien creature uh, in like a monk's robe. Uh, he is humanoid, he's like green, almost looks like Yoda on crack with like, like side, black sideburns and like a, a samurai knot type thing on the back of his head and everything. Uh, very small, you know, in scale type, uh, being, but he's a cleric and you find out the clerics on the kiln are not exactly there to make the prisoners, um realistically feel better, but they give them a false sense of hope and uh, comfort and stuff like that. And as they're talking, these three characters are talking, all of a sudden, all these artificial intelligent 
interior monitor creatures, which Cole refers to as mech creatures, come out of the woodwork or the metalwork, as the case may be, and they're supposed to only stay in on the interior, but someone has overridden their controls, and they're now coming out, and they're actually starting to cause damage to the kiln structure, and just as that's happening, all of these ships come in and start blasting the kiln, and they're causing just mass destruction and everything, and these ships that come in, they're kind of creature-like. They, they look like monsters. And there's a character that shows up at the end of this story that I did not know other than by name. I didn't even really know what he looked like. And had I been familiar with the character when I saw the name Annihilation Prologue, I should have known immediately what character was the big bad in this. And I would have recognized, even if I didn't know by the title... If I knew that character better, I would have recognized the ships as being related to him because they kind of had a similar look to him. Um, and I don't want to reveal it just yet, but it will, we will reveal it near the end of the issue. So all these ships are coming in. They're destroying the kiln. Uh, mass destruction's happening. Cole and Swad, you know, the area that they're in gets blasted, and Swad actually gets uh, hit really bad, and he's about to die, and he says to Cole... You know, don't let me die without being absolved. And Cole's like, I can't do that. I'm, you know, I'm not someone that can give you those last rites. And he's like, uh, he's like, I can. Get, the Swad's like, I can guide you because again, he's kind of the religious type guy. And he tells Cole what to say. So Cole repeats back to him what to uh, what he's saying to give him that forgiveness. And at the very end when he completes what he's saying, that's when the whole kiln location blows up. And we assume that Cole and Swad and everybody dies. Uh, and there's no indication that they didn't. Uh, which is kind of a shame because I think the Cole and Swad character would have been cool if they appeared again later in the story. Um, and they could have actually been maybe some cool Marvel, new Marvel cosmic characters to, to have in the story or to have use at a later time. All, this, all the ships... Uh, that destroyed the kiln are flying away with the explosion. And I found it interesting on the page here that we have uh, a couple of ships kind of look like versions of TIE fighters, which obviously I found pretty cool. I do want to mention, I, I forgot to do this at the beginning of the story, um, or before we start covering this, but this story is written by Keith Giffen, uh, which is interesting also because everybody, when they're referring to the new Marvel Cosmic relaunch, they refer to Abnett and Lanning as helping to cause this great uh, Marvel Cosmic relaunch to occur. But it was really Keith Giffen who started this whole thing, and he, he was the architect behind the beginning of this, at least. Uh, the art was done by Scott Collins with uh, Ariel Elavetti, and the color was done by Jun Chung, and lettering was by VCs Corey Petit. Or Petit. The cover painting was done by Gabrielle Del... Del Odo or Del Otto. Um, and the editor on this was actually Andy Schmidt. Uh, and for those of you familiar with stuff we've covered in the past or familiar with G.I. Joe comics, Andy Schmidt was actually, well, I should say also Transformers comics, Andy Schmidt was actually the editor over at IDW when G.I. Joe relaunched, and he took over editing duties on the Transformers series for quite a while. So this is really where Andy started his a lot of his work as far as editing and everything else was, uh, and where he really got his notoriety, 
was doing some of the Marvel Cosmic stuff. So that's a way it ties into Star Joe's as well. Welcome to a collaboration between the GeekCast Radio Network and the Pop Culture Network. This is From the Command Center, the podcast. I am your host, Steve Joe and Mike from the GCRN, and joining me is Zordon himself. Uh, oh, wait. I mean, Scotty Cash. That's right. Scotty Cash from the Pop Culture Network. And today we're introducing you to the audio version of From the Command Center, the podcast that will tell our intake on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the episodes, the seasons, and all that other good stuff. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to MWire only on GeekCastRadio.com. Now we're on uh, Annihilation Day plus seven, so we're beyond that first attack. We're now in the Xandar Cluster, and it's the home planet of the, uh, the Nova Corps. So the, uh, Xandar was in the movie. This is more of a cluster of large cities and everything else. I believe at one time Xandar was a planet in the past. Uh, those of you familiar, more familiar with Marvel Cosmic stuff, you know, you can certainly let me know. Again, I don't expect, I don't portray myself as an expert Marvel Cosmic stuff, but I have been delving into a lot of it. So uh, I definitely know more than I ever knew before, reading a lot of stuff, but I don't know everything. So, uh, so if you, if anyone out there knows that Xandar was a planet at one time, let me know. But right now it's just a cluster, and what they're doing is they're bringing in all of the the Nova Corps members, including Richard Ryder, and 
Richard Rider on Earth is just known as Nova. And he first appeared, believe it or not, in Nova number one September, in September of 1976. The reason I say believe it or not is because, number one, you have a character, a brand new character, being introduced uh, to the Marvel Universe. And he's not being introduced in like an Avengers issue or a Fantastic Four issue or anything like that. No, Marvel just said, we're creating this character Nova. Let's start a Nova ongoing series. And that was Nova number one. And that's where he was first introduced. Also, the reason why I say it's hard to believe is because I think most people associate Richard Rider and Nova as being a character that came out in the 1990s because he was part of the New Warriors comic and everything else. So people probably automatically assume that that's when he first appeared. However, he appeared in 1976, so he goes back quite a ways. Uh, the Nova Corps themselves... Uh, appeared in a cameo in Fantastic Four number 204 in March of 1979, and then they their first full actual appearance as the Nova Corps appeared in Fantastic Four, the next issue, Fantastic Four number 205 in April of 1979 as well. So Nova, uh, Nova Richard Ryder shows up, and he is greeted by a couple other Nova members. One is named Pio, uh, P-Y-O, and one is named Samaya, uh, S-A-M-A-Y-A. Pio reminds me of a character that I've seen before in Marvel Universe, but I can't recall the name. Um, she's got this big yellow head, and she's kind of more like sentient robot of sorts. Um, and I know I've seen a character like her before, or her species before, but for the life of me, I had a hard time finding anything that confirmed that for me. But then we have Samaye. Samaye is the same species as Yandu, and Yandu is a character that was in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. However, that's not the Yondu from the comics originally. Yondu from the comics originally was in the Guardians of the Galaxy comic series, the original Guardians of the Galaxy uh, comic series, and he was one of the Guardians, and he was this noble warrior from an alien species. He does have the whole whistle thing where he can, but he, with his arrow, but the arrow actually comes from a bow and arrow, so he actually shoots it, and then he can control it with music. This is Sam A. She comes from the same species. Um, and they both greet Richard Ryder. And they, Pio kind of gives Richard Ryder attitude saying and referring to him as a dink. Uh, and he doesn't know what a dink is. And Sam A. explains that a dink is a, a greenie or a rookie. And he's like, I'm not a rookie, so I've been doing this for five years now. And Pio points out that Terran years don't count, so his years on Earth of being a Nova doesn't count towards being actually having experience. So it's a, it's interesting here because when you're dealing with time and everything else, Marvel has always said that you know they don't follow necessarily the real-world time stuff. So in this universe, they're establishing that Richard Ryder has only been a Nova for five years. Even though his character started in the 1970s, he's only been doing this for five years. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. Then we go to a Xandar prison convoy. Uh, this was a convoy that was supposed to go to the kiln, but because of what happened there, it was rerouted over to the Xandar cluster. And on this, we have Drax, the destroyer. And he's actually being released because they cannot charge him with the crimes. They are noting that he is being charged with uh, 200,000 deaths by his hand. However, they cannot, because of the matrix genetic uh, readings that they have, 
they can't tie his genetics that he currently has to these 200,000 deaths that occurred. Um, and it's probably because of some changes that occurred for him. Again, I mentioned that he was like wearing this purple cape in the past, and he was this big hulking creature, like bigger than he is now. He's more almost on the size of the Hulk in some respects, um, depending on which version of the Hulk you're looking at. And I, Drax first appeared in Iron Man number 55, February of 1973, so he appeared the exact same issue as Thanos appeared. And if you know their history, it's because Drax was created to destroy Thanos. That's the reason he was created. So it makes sense that they both appeared at the exact same time. However, there's changes that happen with Drax and how he looks and, and everything else from his first appearance. And those changes have happened in a miniseries called Drax the Destroyer. And that actually came out in November of 2005. I have not read that miniseries yet. I do want to read that miniseries because it, I assume, explains how he's changed from this purple-clad being into the being that we now know as Drax the Destroyer. Who also appears in that issue is in that, ver- in that miniseries is this character Cammy. And she's this human who now owns Drax. Uh, evidently, there's something that happened in that miniseries that involves the Skrulls and everything else, and the Skrulls gave ownership of Drax to Cammy. And Cammy first appeared in Drax the Destroyer number one. So I'm very interested to read that because I'm interested to see where this Cammy character comes from, how she now owns Drax. Um, but I'm more interested to find out how did Drax change uh, from the character I originally knew. Drax and Cammy are now allowed to leave the uh, this prison thing, even though that he's been released. They can't leave because they're on lockdown because of the attacks that happened during the uh, that annihilation wave that came through. We then go to the Core Central, uh, Nova Core Central, where Nova Prime is announcing to all of the Nova Core members about the attack and what they're going to do, and that they're going to go out and face this threat and hopefully have minimal casualties, which is famous last words. Uh, they get the fleet together, and this fleet's got a bunch of Nova Corps ships that are like these giant ships. Think of like the Rebel Alliance group cluster of ships uh, at the end of Empire Strikes Back or at the end of Return of the Jedi. It kind of looks like that. Just as they're kind of getting their ships together, there's this big opening that occurs is bright light and Drax notices this light and he's like, okay, Cammy, we're leaving. He says, you know, basically something not pleasant is coming. So he busts through the, the droids that are uh, guarding them and keeping them in their location and he commandeers a an escape pod uh, that someone was going to be using. They just jump in, sit down, and launch out of there before the the, the uh, prison convoy is completely annihilated, completely destroyed. All these bug-type ships come flying through that light, and they just start blasting the Nova Corps ships. Uh, the Nova Corps members fly out, uh, they put their helmets on, they get out of there, and they start trying to attack these, these bug ships and bug beings and everything else that are showing up. Uh, it's assumed that Pio dies in this initial attack, because we don't see her the rest of the issue. But when I try to look up information about her, they state that this issue is her only appearance. So we'll see if that's true later on and everything else, but for right now, 
it appears that she died in that initial wave. Because, again, she doesn't appear in the rest of the series, and they don't have any record online of her appearing anyplace else. Richard Ryder and Samaye get out. He uh, actually rescues her at one point. They are actually being attacked, uh, and they have no connection to the world mind. So the Nova Corps respond to the world mind, which is this collection of information of past uh, members and everything else, all of their intelligence, all of their strategy, all their tactics and everything else go into this world mind, and it helps the other Nova Corps members that are still around to communicate with each other, to plan out things, and it gives them advice, it gives them information and everything else. But whatever this annihilation wave is doing, it's blocking that signal, and they cannot uh, interact with each other, they can't communicate with each other. And uh, Samuel says, we're blind and deaf. Well, Nova, Richard Ryder, he's used to working on his own and not really having to rely on the world mind. So he, of course, won't give up. And he goes flying down to one of the, the uh, cluster units, the cluster cities, for Xandar and to try to help some people. And he goes to the, the main location where the Nova Corps Central is. And they cannot seem to use any of their blasting ability or anything like that to stop these bug creatures that are attacking them. Like, it, their blasts and everything else just bounce right off. And Nova Corps members are able to, like, blast things from their, their arm, you know, their hands or whatever, like that typical, you know, firing from your fist type of, of action that you probably see in a lot of comics. But they can also shoot themselves around, fly around really fast and everything else. That's why Nova was known as the human rocket at one time. And he notices that if he fires himself and just bounces off of them, that they will actually destroy each other. So they'll shoot at each other trying to hit him, and they are able to destroy each other. So Samuel notices this tactic and orders everyone else to follow suit. Well, just as they're doing that, this huge uh, spaceport starts to crash down onto the cluster city that they're on right now, and there is no way they can escape. But again, Richard Ryder won't give up. He doesn't believe in giving up. So he says, instead of trying to get away from it, which we can't do, we're going to go right through it. Because, again, much like the Green Lantern Corps, as long as they're blasting through, they're pretty much protected. Um, they're no noticing that it's working, that they're actually getting through. And Sammy says to him, I think I should point out that if you pull this off, I'll mate with you for life. And so Nova says, Richard Ryder says, okay, you got a deal. Of course, as soon as he says that, there's this one chunk of fiery metal and, and spaceport that comes shooting down and blasts M.A. right in the face, takes her head clean off, and kills her. So she only appears in this issue as well, uh, which is kind of a shame because she was a cool character and I would like to have seen her continue. Uh, we have... Uh, Richard Ryder, he gets caught up in the explosion. There's this huge double-page spread that just looks awesome. Scott Collins' art, I really like his, his artwork on this um, on this whole issue. But, you know, we got this big explosion, and then we see just a panel of black. And then we have, like, this little light creeping through, and Richard Ryder is actually clawing his way out of the wreckage. He comes out and notices everything is destroyed. Just absolutely everything. And he just, again, great Scott Collins art. He's just hunched over. He's got tears coming down his eyes from the stress and the sadness of the whole situation. 
and he starts to record a verbal log, which is what Nova Corps members are supposed to do. Uh, he says, verbal log, Nova Corps, operative 11249-44396, Richard Ryder. I, I was there the last day of the Nova Corps. I was there. I'm still here. God help me, I'm still here. So really emotional moment. Uh, he is seeing himself as the last Nova Corps member. We then go to a completely different place. We're now Annihilation Day plus 12, so we're several days past uh, what just happened. And we have Ronan the Accuser now. We have Ronan is passing judgment on a couple Cree members who wipe, uh, were involved in wiping out a bunch of Skrull beings. Uh, and he mentions that they were involved with killing over 200,000 uh, 200, beings, and which is interesting because that's the exact same number <laughs> that Drax is being accused of killing. So there's must be some story in the past, and maybe it happens in that Drax miniseries, so I'm very eager to read that. Um, there must be some story where 200,000 beings, potentially all scrolls, were killed, and there's a couple of these Cree members, Cree beings that are supposedly involved with that, and they were like, well, they were just scrolls. We were taking out scrolls, and Ronan points out, Scrolls born in Skrull territory have the right to their territory. Krees born in Kree territory have the right to their territory. And these Kree beings are uh, like, well, yeah, well, that's why we killed them, because they were in uh, Kree territory. Uh, there's been a whole battle between the Kree Skrulls. In fact, it's called the Kree Skrull War, and that battle still keeps going on. Again, that's a story I have not read yet. I have the trade for it. I'm very eager to read it. Maybe I'll read it by the next time I record something. So just as Ronan is about to pass judgment on these they, these beings and the, he shackles them and everything else, we have a bunch of Kree soldiers that show up, and they are going to take Ronan uh, prisoner. That he has been accused of crimes of sedition, which is he's being accused of uh, inciting others to go against authority. So just like I was saying in the past, where Ronin is this being who follows Cree law, even if the Crees are not following Cree law, that's basically what they're positioning here, is that he did not follow what the Cree wanted him to do, but he was probably following what the Cree should have been doing all along. Well, because of this, he's being viewed as a criminal. He's taken prisoner. The Cree soldier that is placing him under arrest, actually lets him know that there are many in the uh, in the species that, you know, in the Cree uh, people that do not agree with this being done. And he says, say no more, uh, see to your sworn duty, this comes as no surprise. So he's he was obviously expecting this. Uh, we then go to Silver Surfer, who it's now plus 15 days, so it's a few more days after we just seen Ronan, and he comes across, uh, he's in the area that was just destroyed, the Xandar Cluster. And there's these silk creatures, which are like, almost like jellyfish of space. And they're in this area, and he notices that they felt this pressure uh, in the cosmos, which is what he felt also, which is why he came to this area. And he says that some type of infection happened here. And then he's like, no, not an infection, more of an infestation. So that's Silver Surfer's introduction to this story. We had Ronan the Accuser, just to let you know, his first appearance was in Fantastic Four number 65, 
August of 1967. I have not read his first appearance, and unfortunately I have the Fantastic Four Omnibus, Volumes 1 and Volumes 2, and that Volume 2 ends with issue number 60, so five issues before Ronan was going to appear. So I might try to find one of the Marvel Masterworks that starts taking place after that omnibus, because I would really like to read his first appearance and kind of see what type of character he was back then. Silver Surfer first appears in Fantastic Four number 48 in March of 1966. I do have that in that omnibus. I have actually read that issue. I haven't read all the way through the omnibus, but I wanted to read Silver Surfer's first appearance. And He's pretty much the same noble character back then that he is now. Um, we also have, we go to Annihilation Day plus 15, so the same time as the Silver Surfer story, but now we're in the Kree system, and there's a bunch of Kree uh, soldiers that are talking, and they're hearing about how there was all these uh, scroll planets that were wiped out. So evidently the Annihilation Wave got to the scroll area, and while they're talking, uh, there is Super Scroll, who is invisible. And who Super Scroll is, he's a Scroll uh, soldier. And the Scrolls are these beings. Think of the, um, trying to remember the name of the characters from the Avengers, but basically those alien creatures that were in the Avengers, they were kind of the Marvel Universe, movie universe version of the Scrolls, in a sense, because they couldn't use the Scrolls because the rights to the scrolls were given to Sony, who has the Fantastic Four. And the scrolls really did start off as a Fantastic Four villain. They're a lot larger now. Uh, they kind of are a villain of, of a lot of beings in the Marvel Universe. Um, but they're an alien species, and they believe in war, and they believe in conquest and everything else. Uh, but they can shape change, like anybody or anything. The Super Scroll was purposely created and, and genetically engineered to not only be able to change appearances and mold his being, but he also has the powers of the Fantastic Four. So he can become like a rock being. He can become uh, malleable and bendy and, and everything else and change his shape more so than a typical scroll can, just like Mr. Fantastic. Uh, he can become invisible like the Invisible Woman, uh, and he can put himself on fire and, and control fire and stuff like that, just like Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. So in this case, he's being invisible so that he can spy on the Kree and find out what they know. Um, so he hears about these scrawl planets being destroyed, and obviously it has some concern because that's his people. In this, I found it very interesting, too, when the Kree are talking about the rumors that they heard about the scrawl planets being attacked, they refer to where they heard it from was from a secondary intelligence analyst that's tasked to military application, and his name is Starlin, S-T-A-R hyphen L-Y-N. You might, if you're not familiar with Marvel Cosmic, you might be thinking of Star-Lord from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but that's not who they're referring to. Starlin is actually referring, referring to Jim Starlin, who is responsible for the creation of a lot of your Marvel Cosmic characters. So he's well known as creating a lot of these Marvel Cosmic characters especially those in the Guardians of the Galaxy and everything else. So they are they are actually uh, referring, they're giving a little nod to him by saying this cadet, uh, this intelligence analyst named Starlin is where they heard this from. So I thought that was a nice nod to uh, that creator. We then go to Annihilation Day plus 15, again, same time period. Uh, we're now in the Verge System 1, which is another location. 
uh, it was former, formerly the Xandar cluster. The annihilation wave is still, it has returned to this area. And we have this character, Erratica, who is this alien being, this bug-like alien being. And she's, I assume it's a she, because she's talking about being a concubine, concubine for those that will serve uh, their master and everything else. And you see this winged being, uh, green wings, purple armor, and everything else. He comes flying down. He says, "You forget your place, Erratica." He's like, "All serve Annihilus. Annihilus uh, is the will and the way, and he will not be denied." So Annihilus is the big bad. He is the bringer of the annihilation wave. He is the cause of the story. That's the annihilation. It should have been no surprise to me, but again, I wasn't familiar with this character at the time. So for me, this was actually a really cool reveal because I'm like. Oh, cool, we have this character called Annihilus. This is a story called Annihilation. We have the Annihilation Wave coming through. Um, Annihilus actually first appeared in Fantastic Four Annual number 6 in 1968, and his origin is actually told in Fantastic Four number 140 in 1973. Annihilus lives in the negative zone, or usually lives in the negative zone, and that's his domain to rule. He's always been a Fantastic Four villain, but in this story... They're bringing him on as a big bad for the whole Marvel Cosmic Universe. So I thought that was really cool. Um, he does have this thing that's called the Cosmic Control Rod. What that does, it's, uh, it harnesses vast amounts of cosmic energy, um, and that can be used uh, to alter atomic structures of matter uh, for new configurations, and he can manipulate powerful energies. Uh, it also provides the holder with extended life. There has been many times where that cosmic control rod has been taken from Annihilus, and I believe before this story, he didn't have it anymore. But obviously, he's gained control of it again, and that makes him really powerful, makes him a really dangerous villain. He, I assume, used those powers, like I talked about altering material and altering matter and everything else. He probably used that to change ships and everything else to be his fleet of the Annihilation Wave that came through. We don't know yet how he came through to our universe, because like I said, he does reside in the negative zone, which is like the flip side of our universe, you know, where we have matter, they have antimatter and everything else. So, But he obviously came through the crunch, which is where these two places really kind of meet a lot of times, but usually you can't pass through. I can't recall if they actually explain how he came through in the later stories, uh, but it'll be interesting to find out. Uh, I forgot to mention also Super Scroll. His real name is Clert. K-L apostrophe R-T. He first appeared in Fantastic Four number 18 in 19, uh, September of 1963. So he's been around for a very long time too. And again, he's typically a Fantastic Four bad guy, but they're using him almost as like a hero of his people, much like Ronin is a hero of his people. Uh, Super Scroll, we're going to find, has a moral code and everything else uh, as the stories go on. The other thing I really liked with this issue is at the very end of it, if you were not familiar with any of these characters in this story, they have the Xandar World Mind Nova Core database. So this is several pages. It's kind of like the Marvel uh, handbook that you may have seen or a DC Who's Who, where each page you would get some information. So they have information about the Nova Core and you know where they're located, what they do, what their purpose is. There's a little bit of backstory with them. We have Annihilus which is the living death that walks. That's what he's known as. It gives some background with him as far as who that character is. 
Uh, it has Thanos. It has the Annihilation Wave. So it talks. It shows on a map like where it started, what it is, um, where it's heading, all that type of stuff. We have the kiln. Describes what that is. So it was really cool. And then the last page shows Annihilation Checklist, which when you have a bigger story like this that's going to go through multiple titles or multiple created titles, again, these titles weren't out yet, I really like having a checklist in the issue someplace so I can make sure I didn't miss anything that's coming out. So with this, I had mentioned that, you know, there's this prologue, and then that leads into Silver Surfer number one, Super Scroll number one, Nova number one, and Ronin number one. So those start some miniseries that go for four issues. And then once those are completed, it went into the actual Annihilation story where all those characters come together to stop this Annihilation wave and to stop Annihilus. It's a really cool story. I really enjoyed it. Again, I love the Scott Collins art. Um, I know I went really long with this episode, but I figured for those of you that were not familiar with the Marvel Cosmic Universe, this would be something you probably would enjoy learning about and finding out where it started. So like I said, this version of the Marvel Cosmic Universe did not start way, way back in the 60s and 70s. The characters did, but this version of the Marvel Cosmic Universe, the reinvention of it, really just started in 2006. The only character from the Guardian Galaxy movie would have been... uh, you know, Ronin and Drax. Yes, the Nova Corps was there, but Richard Ryder Nova was not in uh, the movie, but he is in this story, and he's actually a very crucial character in the Nova Corps. He is now the only one that's left. I find that kind of interesting and wanted to know where that was going to go. So once I read this, I was hooked, and I was like, I'm going to keep getting these issues. And ever since then, I've pretty much picked up almost everything that was Marvel Cosmic. There's been a few exceptions here and there, and there's been reasons for that. But very, very few have I ever passed on. So I am 100% into the Marvel Cosmic stuff. I really, really enjoy it. I love learning more about it. I love going back and reading old stuff. Marvel's been doing a great job of releasing trades of different stuff that makes me want to get them and read them. I've picked up a lot of stuff, including they came out with a, a trade of that Thanos uh, maxi series or mini series or ongoing whatever it really was meant to be uh like i said i think it lasts only 12 or 13 issues um but that's where the kiln first appears i have that trade so i'm kind of eager to read that i do want to read that drax mini series that came out that kind of reinvented that character uh, i know you can get that digitally i don't know if it's in trade but i do know you can get it digitally so i'm very interested in reading that but let me know what you guys think about this i would be happy to continue covering the Marvel Cosmic stuff on the side, on my own. If someone wants to join me at some point and we can coordinate it, that's perfectly fine. But these will probably be episodes that I do just on my own because I have all the issues. I can sit down on an afternoon like I am today. I have the day off on Friday. Decided I had the house to myself. I'm going to go ahead and, and review uh, this issue so I can get an episode out there for you guys. So I might continue doing stuff like this. Uh, I definitely will be continuing the normal Kessel Run stuff where I cover the 80s uh, past issues and stuff like that of different 80s properties. So I will definitely be covering that type of stuff, usually with Chuck and Robert and maybe some other guests here and there. I know John Thurman and I, who John's been on the show before, him and I have talked about covering the Micronauts together and we'll probably be doing that sometime in the near future. So that's a lot of fun, but I really love the Marvel Cosmic stuff. And it does have little nods to stuff related to Star Wars and everything like that. 
And I just love the Guardians of the Galaxy movie so much that I was like, I really want to talk about this and I really want to cover it. So I hope it was helpful for those of you guys that are not familiar with the Marvel Cosmic stuff to kind of see where a lot of the modern day stuff got its start. Uh, if you want me to continue with this stuff, please let me know. Uh, future episodes probably will be a lot shorter because there was a lot of introduction of characters here. It was a thicker issue. There was a lot of stuff that happened in the issue. So uh, if you'd like me to continue, I will go right down the line with the rest of the Annihilation story. We'll get into Annihilation Conquest, which is the first introduction of Star-Lord. And then you get Groot and Rocket Raccoon and Gamora and all that type of stuff. Uh, it's not their first appearances, but it's the first appearance of them becoming a team, which eventually becomes the Guardians of the Galaxy, which becomes an ongoing series. So there is a huge storyline that started with this Annihilation prologue and just kept continuing into other stuff. Uh, and it was almost all of it, I can say, was completely awesome. It was a lot of fun to read. And like I said, if you guys want me to continue reviewing this stuff, I would be happy to do that and taking moments here and there to, to review issues like this. So uh, with that, I'll go ahead and wrap things up here. You can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us at the forumforgeeks.com where you can interact with us every day. You can also interact with us every day on Facebook. On Facebook, I, uh, I post a lot of my comic reviews. Chuck and I both post a lot of just crazy pictures and stuff like that. We also will post articles about news that's coming out. Uh, and Robert a lot of times will post like things such as, you know, his Atkins Battleground, which I know he hasn't done recently, but he'll probably start doing more of that. Uh, he also will post stuff about his art and everything else. So uh, Facebook's a great place to follow, follow us. You just like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. It's at Star Joe's Podcast. You can call us and leave us a voicemail. I did receive a voicemail recently, and I'm saving that for the next time that Robert and Chuck and I get together, uh, mostly for Robert because it was kind of directed towards him a bit. So I will play that voicemail next time Robert and I get together. Uh, we did get some some emails and everything else, and I'll cover that next time when I have Chuck or Robert on the show, and we'll respond to those uh, emails. But you can leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-JOES. You can also email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us an email message through Facebook. So there's that messenger. You can send us a message on our fan page as well, and we'll read that on the air as well. Uh, so that's another way you can reach out to us. Uh, you can find us on Geekcast Radio Network. You can also find us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We, we received a couple reviews recently, and that was awesome, so I'd love to receive more. And uh, you can also find us on Stitcher Radio. It's a free app for your mobile devices, and you can make Star Joe's one of your favorites on there. Uh, I believe that's everything. So with that, we'll go ahead and close by saying the Force will be with you, because knowing us is half the battle. Take us out of here, dancing group. Dancing group.